Welcome back to the Movie Bible Podcast. This week you've got myself, and I'm here with Nick and Brennan as we talk about Mulan, Paramount Decrees, uh, whatever's in the Netflix top 10, as well as some of what we've been watching lately. Uh, remember, you can check us out online at moviebabble.com. And let's just go ahead and dive into Mulan. Uh, so Mulan was one of the first movies to get pushed back uh, way back in March. It feels like a couple years ago at this point. Uh, but it was due to come out in late March, was supposed to really kick off the summer blockbuster season, and it got postponed um, here until July. Um, it had taken over Tenet's uh, release date window at one point, uh, was pushed back again, and now it is announced to be dropping for $30 on Disney+, Plus, uh, which seems pretty crazy <laughs> that a blockbuster that cost Disney about $300 million is now just going to be streamable the same day that it's in theaters internationally. Um, so we're definitely in strange times and I'm, I'm curious to see what other movies will do this because we've seen stuff like Scoob or Trolls World Tour, which kind of started the whole universal AMC beef way back in February. Um, also announced uh, they, they did kind of the same thing where they debuted at theaters where it was applicable, uh, but we're also streaming. But I mean, Mulan is such a much larger movie than those two. I'm I'm really interested to see if anything else kind of follows suit. Yeah, it will be really fascinating because it's my guess is that everyone around the business will be looking at that probably that Monday following Mulan's drop on Disney Plus uh, just to kind of see what the initial numbers are if Disney releases them at all <laughs> or they don't because you know Netflix is we've been on here wondering like the. Did 90 million people actually watch Extraction this weekend, or are they just like bullshitting us? So, like, maybe who knows? Maybe Disney just doesn't never tells um, what their numbers are in this, so they can just like maybe we won't know if this was successful until they announce that some of their big project is going straight to Disney Plus. So, um, this is really interesting because for all the streaming services out there, this this is really the first time where it's like an over the top purchase for a service that's already over the top. It's kind of weird in that sense, but um, I'm still wondering if I would actually pay for this. I don't really know. I don't really feel like dropping 30 bucks, and maybe this is more of like a family thing. But uh, right now, it's 30 bucks seems pretty steep. I don't know what you guys feel like. Uh, yeah, you know what? Like, I, this is really surprising to me because I, I think um, when it came to that transition to theaters, um, uh, movies that were supposed to come out in theaters, just kind of pushing them to VOD. Uh, this was not one of the ones I expected. I expected more medium-sized uh, films like Scoob, um, but this is a major blockbuster, right? I think you may have mentioned it, but $300 million was the budget. It's a big epic. I was looking forward to seeing it in theaters, um, but 30 bucks now, for me personally, I don't know if I'd, if I'd pay for this. I think this will be a, more of a family draw, as you, as you alluded to. Um, so I think it'll be interesting, as you said, if, if this is successful, will other movies transition here as well and and with theaters starting to reopen around that weekend um worldwide at least and in, in the united states I, I i feel like maybe they might get limited releases but this could also be a way for them to compete with tenant uh which will be in theaters the weekend that mulan is set to then drop uh on disney plus so it'll, it'll be interesting i know in the nations that don't have disney plus though it is going to be in theaters uh, but it's a it's a weird thing, and thirty bucks is a lot. But uh, I, th I think we spoke about it before we jumped on here. You do get to keep it if you have Disney Plus. Uh, you can confirm that, right, Colin? Yeah. So as soon as you basically rent it, 
you're I guess you're kind of leasing it from Disney for a one-time payment of thirty dollars, and then you can stream it from your Disney Plus account um, until it eventually just drops for free on Disney Plus, which I'd imagine after like six months to a year, especially since that's kind of what they did with Onward and even with Frozen Two and Hamilton coming out a year early. Um, I'd imagine it'll be free at some point. Yeah, it's. I don't know. It's it's definitely one of those things where people are going to have to gauge their interest and their price points and everything like that, obviously, because I feel like we've talked about this before. It's like if something no, like No Time to Die would be available for $50 on some kind of premium VOD, would you buy that? So this, I think this is definitely the first kind of instance of that. Um, and it is interesting because you think of like I live at, down here in D.C. and then you have cities like LA, New York, and Chicago. If you get two movie tickets and you go at kind of a premiere time, it's right around fifteen dollars a ticket. So maybe that it. Maybe if you share your Disney account, a Disney Plus account with someone, I share it with my lovely girlfriend. Shout out to her. Uh, but if we go in on this together, it actually becomes kind of reasonable. But I don't know. It's it's one of those things where. It's a really it's a high price point, and this there's a lot of money for Disney in this. Uh, it really it just it signals to me that they don't have much faith in theaters opening pretty soon, especially if they're looking at tenant releasing at the, at the same time. They're probably looking at this saying like that's just not going to happen. So we need to start <laughs> making money on this because we've spent so much on marketing and remarketing this after all of the changes that they, all the release date changes. So uh, I think this is just, it's, it's weird. It's a pessimistic move in my mind, like right off the bat, because Disney just probably needs to make some money off of this eventually. But I feel like there is optimism in this because they feel like if this works, they could fundamentally change the business. Yeah. So the demographic here is definitely going to be families and, and you pointing out there that two tickets for you is about, so it's about $15 a ticket for me. It's around 12 where I'm at. Um, and, and if you're bringing out a whole family, uh, you might get the kids prices and stuff like that, but say just a, a family of four, even they go out, it's, it's more than 30 bucks total. So this might actually be really good for them. However, this is, is definitely cutting out the demographic of, say you have some teenagers that want to go together or friends that want to go together. They're probably not going to be going out and spending uh 30 bucks for this on Disney plus, but, but it, it is a very, um, fiscally, uh, kind of a responsible and, and even um, a good overall purchase for families, 30 bucks. Uh, just kind of thinking about it more um, does make me kind of understand this figure of $30, but uh, it's definitely cutting out a demographic of teenagers and just people who aren't uh, going to see movies with their families. Kind of for me as someone who normally pays like the $20 for AMC stubs a month for my movies. I'm not really <laughs> looking to drop 30 on Mulan. Uh, but I think also that just comes from the fact that, you know, I don't really have a strong attachment to the original, which is really what sells these Disney remakes. Um, like, I wouldn't pay $30 to go watch the Beauty and the Beast remake from a few years ago either. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I definitely understand why they're doing it. Um, and I think it gives the price tag gives them some options because you have people that aren't going to want to drop $30 to see it on Disney plus, but when theaters in the States do open back up, then you still have kind of validity to go and put it back in theaters because there's still going to be people that haven't seen it yet, but are fine dropping $10 or $15 on it instead of 30 to go watch it on the big screen. 
Yeah, it's that's definitely. I think all of this is fluid, and especially because Disney Plus is only here in the states. That um, I think it's just behooves Disney just to be as just reasonable and just keep all options like possible throughout this because it's just ever, like everything during this time. It's just really weird <laughs> just figuring out anything and all the logistics behind this. I, I'd be pulling my hair out if I was somehow the lead of some studio. Uh, that'd be a terrible business decision by them to let me do that. But uh, yeah, I, I really love Mulan, uh, the original. It's uh, one of the, f- I think one of my favorite animated Disney movies. I haven't seen it in a really long time, but I watched it so many times as a kid. It's like, I, I know I've been like a little, uh, what's the word, just frustrated with all the Disney member berries <laughs> with, in, a, in, the, in the last few years and all their, all their movies that feel pretty hollow, but I feel like Mulan is like the one movie where I'm like, all right, bring it on. This is great. I love this. So <laughs> I was really looking forward to seeing this in theaters. So um, yeah, it's, I, I do get it kind of, I'm, I'm warming up to it a little bit. Like Brennan is like where it's, it makes sense. I just don't really know. It, may, it might become to this point where I see it on my Disney plus screen where I'm like, ah, fuck it. Let's just do it and see what happens kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, really fascinating for Disney. And this is, I think it really is worth stressing just like how much this could change everything <laughs> if it works out. And like we, I mean, we're going to talk about the Paramount degree in a little bit, but like theaters just might not have, they'll have less blockbusters to deal with. And that's where they get all, gain all their money on concessions and everything. So uh, this, this is definitely something that I feel like everyone is going to be paying attention to. Yeah. It's definitely going to be something to watch. Um, you know, Trolls World Tour was strong enough to <laughs> get Universal movies banned <laughs> oh from AMC for a little while. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how theater chains react to this. But again, I think that's kind of where that fluidity comes in, is that Disney is still planning to release this in theaters. Um, but it's interesting that we haven't seen as much um, outrage, even though it's launching pretty much same day in theaters and streaming, which was the big issue with Trolls. Um, I guess that's just kind of indicative of how tired the world is of COVID right now. Yeah, and it comes off the back, too, of there was the announcement last week that theater chains are basically, they're reducing their window of um, just you have to keep your movie in theaters to, for down to 17 days. Uh, it was like at 70 before, so you had like all these movies who were only like really in theaters for two weeks, but then weren't making any money, so theaters would drop them, but then all these distributors still couldn't do anything with them because they had to wait that 70 uh, day window before they could put them on VOD or whatever. Uh, And now that's gone. Like we have 17 days now. So I imagine there's gonna be a lot of those mid budget movies. Like I keep thinking of a movie like the way back, uh, which came out in, in March right before COVID destroyed everything. I feel like that's a movie that would have done really well in this hybrid system where it's in theaters for a couple weeks and it goes to premium VOD after that. But yeah, this is just another. I feel like it's another nail in the coffin of theaters. I mean, they're going to be around in some in some way, one, one way or another, for I feel like a pretty decent amount of a few more years, maybe. Uh, but this is just, it's just there's so much change, and I feel like it's just brought on just because they're also desperate for getting cash flow, and AMC had to basically refinance all their debt a few like a week or so ago, and all that. So yeah, it's just I feel like this is just another one another news point in like a long line of these and more to come yeah it's it's definitely something to watch and you know we were watching tenant for a while and they seemed to have figured out what they were doing uh but now all eyes are on mulan as well 
So we'll we'll see how the movie turns out financially and uh, whether or not it's actually a, a solid remake. Whether it joins the like two Disney remakes that were actually rewatchable or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, kind of on a similar note, the Paramount decrees have been abolished, uh, which is a little startling. Uh, so just to kind of give background on that, you know, back in old Hollywood um, up through, I think like 48 or 49 is when the decrees uh, took effect. It was in the studio system. So the studios, uh, which at that time, the big ones are like RKO, Warner Brothers was pretty solid, MGM um, controlled everything. <laughs> um, so they produced, they distributed, they owned the movie theaters. Um, there really wasn't a whole lot of independent cinema or any kind of, of smaller studios. If you didn't have enough money to do everything, then you didn't have enough money to do anything uh, was basically how it worked. And so the to break up those monopolies, uh, the federal government enacted the Paramount Decrees, uh, which was a case against Paramount, and basically came down to the fact that theaters could no longer be owned by the studios making movies. Uh, so that legislation has been in place for the past, how many years is that? 70-ish years at this point, um, but it is now over. Um, just because with the way that content has changed, because now there is streaming and home video and just a completely different look to how movies are made and distributed than there was, you know, back when you saw a movie in theaters and then it was done uh, back in the studio days. Um, so <laughs> the government has reevaluated that, um, but it, it could be tricky uh, because now this gives movie theater chains the power to basically charge whatever they want to show outsider movies. So say Disney, for instance, could come in and scoop up AMC and then say, if you want to see a Disney movie, you have to come to an AMC theater. You have to come to our theater to see it. And if, you know, some smaller studio like Blue Sky, or I guess they own Blue Sky now, if some smaller <laughs> studio like <laughs> Bad Robot comes in, J.J. Abrams is like, hey, I got a great idea for a new Star Trek and they're like, okay, well, we're going to take 70% of the tickets because you're going to use our theaters. Um, so it could potentially give the studios that are already in power a lot more power over what movies are being made and distributed. Um, and it could also really crush independent cinemas or independent movies, which already struggle to get into theaters. Uh, but it could kind of crush the leverage that they have uh, to get theatrical releases. Yeah, it's pretty scary stuff from my perspective. It. I don't, it's tough when I look at this. It, for me, it just always, when you hear news like, like this, it just seems to point towards the polar, the further polarization of what is shown in theaters. So yeah, like we might see Disney like buy some theater chain or something. I know Amazon was rumored to buy theater chains for a while there the past few years. So we'll, we'll see. I think that's, that's definitely going to happen. I mean, you have like Amazon or like even like Apple, who's now, creating content like they have so much money like they could easily buy one of these and do whatever they want so yeah it kind of feels like it's open season in a sense but it really feels like to me where this news is kind of pointing towards at some point I mean, this has kind of been the writing on the wall for a while but this just furthers it where it's going to be you can go to the theater you can, you can go to your crazy big 300 million dollar movie or you can go to your little indie theaters i think that's like probably the few places where like all of these like random distributors will be able to show their stuff. They'll have like your, your landmarks or things like that, where 
they can just go there and show you really tiny million dollar movies and there's going to be nothing in between and all those movies might be end up on stream or somewhere uh, that's kind of how i see it but yeah it's <laughs> i don't really know what to make this i feel like it's kind of one of those things where so many different things could happen uh it's it's kind of it's really tough yeah so colin you you, you explained it pretty well so I, I won't really add too much to to everything there but uh i think this might be something that It'll take a few years to actually see if there are any developments uh, in regards to this. I feel like obviously right now with COVID, everything's up in the air. And then also, I just don't know if, if any studio would want to move in on that right away. So I feel like this is something that we'll probably have to wait a few years to see if there are uh, developments uh, with this. Yeah, and I think it's just really interesting timing because they first started talking about this, um, I think a year or a year and a half ago. Uh, when the Department of Justice kind of announced that it was taking another look at abolishing uh, the Paramount decrees. But now you're at a position where a lot of the theater chains are weak and could potentially be looking for a buyout, um, whereas companies like Disney or Apple, like Nick said, that just have unlimited cash could come in and buy a theater chain for a very undercut price and basically get a bargain um, to go ahead and go through with this now. So I obviously... Unless you're uh, into that pandemic conspiracy, I don't think uh, COVID was planned for <laughs> theater takeovers, but it's just interesting timing the way that it all lined up. Yeah, it's just, I mean, that's what happens when uh, businesses can't run for, what is it, six, we're in our sixth month now, which is just crazy. Like, they, they have to be able to run and pay for lighting and all, and lighting and air conditioning and all that stuff, and just all of their rent and whatnot, like... This stuff adds up and it's, yeah, it's just another thing. Uh, I think I definitely agree with Brennan where it's like, we will probably have to wait a while before this really happens. Cause I think it seems like AMC and Regal and Cinemark and all these are really want the opportunity to be able to reopen and just see what happens. And I think a lot of them are pointing towards po like a possible surge back to theaters. Cause people are just so excited to go to them again. And maybe that's possible, but yeah, we're seeing like margins uh, being pinched and pinched even more over the years at theaters. So it probably will get to the point where whoever, I, can't, I don't know who runs AMC, but he made those weird mass comments a few weeks ago. But this that guy, <laughs> that guy might be like, hey, this really isn't that profitable anymore. Apple, do you want our stuff? And they'll be like, yeah, sure. We own everything else. This is great. So, yeah, I, it's that definitely kind of seems where we're headed at at this point. Um, it's pretty crazy yeah and i think i don't i don't think it'll be very doom and gloom like oh the studios are going to take over again um because the movie landscape has changed a whole lot so you know back when these were put into place you had like one or two screens per auditorium you probably didn't have more than a theater maybe two two or maybe a few in the larger cities but most cities probably just one maybe two um so there wasn't nearly as much space and now that we have streaming you know, Netflix has kind of been distributing their own content for quite a while. Um, there's much more of a platform, and I think there's much more of a hunger for the smaller movies that I think we'll just see more of them kind of shift towards streaming, which we kind of are seeing already as well. So, yeah, that is the uh, the doom and gloom of the Paramount decrees being abolished. Um, and so we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but fortunately, Netflix is here to continue to be the biggest monopoly ever made. Uh, just consistently so we're going to take a crack at their top 10 for this week uh, so in the number one spot was work it 
the number two spot was Dennis the Menace, followed by Jurassic Park at number three, Mr. Deeds at number four, National Security at number five, Acts of Violence at number six, Malibu Rescue at number seven, uh, Latte and the Magic Waterstone number eight, The Kissing Booth two, Nick's favorite at number nine, Stop. and the Lost, World, <laughs> the Lost World Jurassic Park at number 10. Uh, so I was a little surprised to see Dennis the Menace up there. Um, but I'm also more surprised. I think this might be the first week that we don't have a single Illumination film up in the top 10. Because normally <laughs> it kind of flops between the Lorax, Despicable Me, or the How the Grinch Stole Christmas. But uh, there's not a single Illumination film up here this week, which I think is just, it speaks volumes. Yeah, thank God, right? <laughs> it's like we've been, like every single week when we look at this top 10, it's like, oh, yes, pencil four in for these four animated films. And then it's like, oh, yeah, and then whatever Netflix came out with that week. So it's interesting. It's a, it's a definitely a weird list this week, but I think that just shows Netflix had a lot of really interesting and eclectic stuff on August 1st. So really interesting. Yeah, and then I think the other thing is with Jurassic Park 1 and 2 being on there, um spielberg has weirdly been the box office king of this past summer um just because most of the drive-ins are flocking to older hits of the 70s 80s and 90s and there's pretty much one guy who was churning out probably 60 percent of them and that was steven spielberg so they're like jurassic park indiana jones et jaws have all been really big at the drive-in box office so i'm not too surprised to see them jump up onto the netflix top 10 uh, just because netflix did just get these from peacock it was one of peacock's selling points that they had the jurassic park movies uh, but then they quickly lost those after the first <laughs> month but they got harry potter from hbo which hbo had like this mad scramble right before hbo max launched to get harry potter um so it's just it's a it's an interesting thing to watch all these properties shuffle around streaming services when everybody's trying to compete with the movies that the other guys just had or will have in a month or two. Um, and it's also just interesting to see Spielberg still being king. I mean, this guy has been dominating the box office for decades, like he, since 1975, when he created the blockbuster and he's still going strong. Yeah, it's a pretty neat, uh, neat list. I mean, to see both those on there and just it's kind of funny, just as you point out, all those uh, streaming services kind of shuffling around properties. That's kind of uh, kind of messy. I'm glad I don't have like all of them. So I have to keep bouncing around. But um, uh, I, I watched Jurassic Park 2 the other day. I, I think it's it's not a bad movie. I know that it gets a lot of hate, not as much hate as the third one, but I think it's slightly underrated. I think it's a good movie. Um, but yeah, Spielberg is king and he uh, always has been. I'm so confused by all this stuff switching streaming services. I never understand it. And then I go on there and it's like, what? Like, why? Is, I don't understand why Harry Potter isn't on HBO as a Warner uh, property. But I, I feel like we're going to deal with this for the next few years because mm -hmm. this is all kind of like the last few years of all these rights issues where people didn't realize they were going to make streaming services. And then, but they still have to like honor all of these deals. We're like, oh, yes, you could have had you're allowed to have this property until this date. And then I'm sure maybe who knows 2025, we finally get a cure for uh, COVID that year. And then we <laughs> finally get to have HBO max uh, have Harry Potter and everything goes back to where it should be. And everything makes sense in the world. But yeah, it's really annoying for now where it's like, you 
don't quite know where everything is and there's just so many streaming servers at this point or it's just kind of mind-boggling um it's yeah it's uh, it's it's really frustrating to me i struggle with it a lot <laughs> yeah and i think just a little spielberg tidbit is so he's had the highest grossing movie of all time three times in his career and he's one of two directors who has lost the title to himself um, so he had Jaws was the highest grossing movie until Star Wars came out. Uh, and then he had E.T. And E.T. was the highest grossing movie for 10 years until Jurassic Park beat it. And then James Cameron did the same thing between Titanic and Avatar. So just a little uh, box office trivia there. I appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, Spielberg is king. Um, he's adding to his billions with the <laughs> drive-in revenues, which... Is again, it's just really interesting since drive-ins have been kind of looked on as dead for the past several years. I mean, they've really struggled um, over the past decade, and then somehow they're the most functional uh, movie-going experience right now. But besides drive-ins, uh, streaming is still going pretty strong. Um, so this weekend had a pretty high-profile release, um, I'd say. Uh, with Seth Rogen's An American Pickle on HBO Max. Uh, this is one that HBO Max has kind of been boosting for a while because it is one of their first originals to hit the service. Um, and it's a Seth Rogen movie, so you've got a good lead star in it. I am disappointed that he doesn't turn into an actual pickle, uh, like the synopsis <laughs> led me to believe back when they released it in May. Um, but nonetheless, I understand that people are enjoying it. Uh, so I'll let you talk about it a little bit, Nick. Yeah, I like this movie. Um, it's it's really funny to see. Uh, I kind of feel like this is the best Seth Rogen performance, possibly. I, I'm kind of one of those people that really likes a lot of his movies where, like, yeah, they have a bunch of dick jokes and there's a bunch of weed and all that in there. But I feel like underneath a lot of them, they're, like, getting at kind of interesting and important ideas. So, like, you look at those Neighbors movies and, yes, you have, like, Zac Efron doing like Al Pacino impressions or whatever, but you also have like, it's basically a story about like new parents, like struggling to deal, like raise their child. And then you have like, this is the end, which is like one of my favorite movies ever. Maybe <laughs> I love that movie so much. And it's just like a Seth Rogen and all of his friends hanging out, dealing with the apocalypse, but it's also like about the afterlife and all this crazy stuff. And then you have like long shot last year, which was obviously a political spoof, but then also just deals with like, like dealing with relationships as well and kind of like what we view as our who how we view our significant others and how everyone else views that. And so it's, I like a lot of his stuff and I think this is kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, so I think he's terrific. And obviously he plays the two roles where he plays um, the guy from the 19, the 1910s, Herschel Greenbaum. And then he plays uh, his great grandson, I believe uh, Ben Greenbaum. And it's one of those few movies where, when a person plays two roles, it's not distracting. I feel like when we watch all these movies and it's like, you're just focused on seeing the person play two different roles. And like, you're looking for all the seams and like where they put stuff together and where they did green screen and stuff like that. But this is actually done really well. And they're two very distinctive uh, characters. So I think he does Seth Rogen does a really good job with it. But um, other than that, I think this movie is kind of like, it's kind of like word soup in a way where it feels like it's trying to be like five different movies because it's like some big at the beginning, there's like this big fallout between the two of them. And then so Herschel Greenbaum's Greenbaum's like, no, I'm going to go make my own pickle business and become an, be the American dream. And you're like, cool. So this movie's about capitalism. And then 
he he starts to like make like a weird run for office <laughs> like his, and then he goes on twitter and starts saying these awful things because he's from the 1910s <laughs> which is pretty funny <laughs> that and then it becomes like this whole political satire then it becomes like this weird uh border patrol thing later on in the third and the th- in the third act so um, it's very strange in that sense and i feel like ultimately it falls on hey like it's all about family which is a little frustrating because it has like so many weird and fun things in it um but i like this movie it's i think seth rogan's terrific in it like i like i said i think it's one of his best performances in it in his career but other than that i feel like it's like a it's a really good streaming watch where you don't really have to be paying attention too much because it's changing it like its own plot so many different times where you're just kind of here like, Oh yeah, look at the, look at this fun, like repartee with these two guys going back and forth with each other. Um, basically played by one guy. So yeah, I would recommend this movie. It's pretty good. Uh, but nothing like worth going crazy about, but yeah, it's weird. that it's one of the more, one of the big time releases we've seen in a while. Yeah. I haven't really heard anything about this until, uh, last couple of days, but I'll definitely uh, keep my, uh, Eyes up for it. It sounds sounds quite good. Yeah, it's it's one I want to check out. I just got distracted by uh, what I'm going to talk about a little bit later on. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm down for an American pickle. Uh, I will forgive its uh, lack of actual pickle, um, but <laughs> I, I'll forgive it. But I won't forget. <laughs> there is a lot of pickle talk in this movie. <laughs> like this movie, for no. Even though there isn't a re- like a humanoid pickle, they love pickles in this movie. So you probably get your pickle talk with in this one. You'll probably be satiated. Yeah, and it's not even a Rick and Morty thing. Um, like I've I've never seen a full episode of Rick and Morty. Um, but when you call a movie an American pickle and say that a man gets brined for a hundred years, I expect him to come out at least green. Um, <laughs> that's just my grievance with this movie. It's kind of weird because this movie, like you think with that premise where a guy gets brined over a hundred years and he ends up in real life, you like, you'd think this is like, it's some crazy slapstick movie. And this is actually one of the more heartfelt and more like dramatic Seth Rogen movies that I've seen in a really long time, which is really strange. And then maybe that might not work for some people, but I would, I'd probably classify this as a dramedy more than it's actually a comedy. Cause there's, it's a lot of going, it's a lot of like, heartfelt like family stuff going back and forth between these guys and all the jokes are more of kind of like clever sequences or like fun setups for inevitable backlashes like the thing i talked about with twitter and all that stuff like that but um yeah it's a it's a strange one if it makes sense why this movie headed towards streaming because it's a hard one to pin down but it's also just really interesting so it's like people would be would be interested in checking it out because they know like, oh yeah it's the new seth rogan movie but um yeah it's 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 really weird but i kind of I, I do like it a lot well uh, i guess i guess i can check it out i can i can forgive it that much <laughs> <laughs> um but then there was another uh it's definitely a much smaller release on shutter uh, which is basically just a horror only streaming service and they do a lot of horror originals as well as you know the endless direct-to-DVD sequels that pretty much every high-profile horror movie gets. Um, but this is one that uh, Nick and I actually saw at Sundance called La Llorona. Um, this is not The Curse of La Llorona, uh, which was <laughs> a movie that came out a few years ago, um, but it does adapt to the same Mexican folktale and the folklore about La Llorona, which is the weeping woman. Um, and I think 
I really appreciate how not scary this movie is. Um, and just how, yes, it has a lot of horror elements, um, but it's more just like a tense kind of creepy movie rather than there's anything that's outright scary. Um, and it just really weaves this folklore into this just really poignant story about genocide, um, which, you know, I've, I felt a little detached from uh, just because my knowledge of a lot of the coups and that kind of activity in South America in the 80s, uh, which this movie really reacts to. I, I just don't know a ton about it, um, but I think it was just a really well done commentary on kind of the state of that society going through everything that led into all those coups um, and to kind of looking at the horrors that happened to them from a period of 30 years later. Yeah, it's, I kind of agree with you where this movie in the moment, I think we both looked at each other after we saw this movie and we're like, this movie is obviously really well done, but we, we felt a little cold towards it. And I, I find myself thinking about it a lot ever since. And I think it is because it does so well at a lot of those things that you just mentioned. And I guess as a quick primer for it, it's this movie circles around uh, a general who's finally facing, who's finally in trial for just all the the genocide of like a ton of Mayans, like a couple decades previous. And so it's fun. It's finally his day in court and all the people are talking against him and sharing their stories. And he's, the general is starting to go senile. Um, and so the rest of this movie is just, is in this big mansion, their own mansion with, and there's police barricades around it. Cause there's just protesters all over the house, just screaming and yelling and just wanting, wanting their peace and all of this. And then that's when the La Llorona folklore uh, comes into this as well. Cause it starts to haunt uh, the general and his family. And it's, it's really terrific. Like you said, it, like you said, Colin, it's not, scary like there's no like there's no jump scares in it and there's there's not a lot of super extended horror sequences in it but it is it's using that idea to just really just a lot better than the curse of Lyrona. frankly uh, it's just just a far superior movie and it's it has a lot of different things on its mind it's i don't know if it's necessarily um a movie for everyone it's one of those movies where you really have to sit with it and kind of contemplate over it afterwards to really get it and also just read history books to understand a lot of what it's getting at. But uh, I really like this movie a lot. Yeah. Take your kids. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But no, no, I think this movie, it's like, it's a very still movie. um, And there are some, some pretty good moments um, of like genuine horror uh, revolving around some of the side characters and particularly an actual weeping woman. Um, and yeah, I just, I think it's really well done. Um, I wish I had resonated with it a little bit more, uh, but for what connections I did have with it, I think it, it was just really incredibly well put together. La Llorona is one that definitely have thought about a lot since Sundance. Um, so if you do have Shudder or if you want to get into Shudder, uh, make sure to check that out. Uh, but we also want to talk about what we've been streaming or watching on our own. Uh, so Brennan, if you want to take it away with that. Yeah, for sure. And just real quick, Shutter. These last few weeks, you guys have been bringing it up a lot, so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna finally uh, invest into Shutter. It seems like a good uh, smart smart move. Um, but uh, so so this past week, I was watching a lot of I guess 
you could argue mainstream stuff, but there are two movies here that uh, very popular movies that I wanted to mention real quick. One that I had watched bits and pieces of throughout my life, but never the full thing, but I needed to uh, mention these on the pod this week because I don't want uh, my cinephile card revoked. So I finally got to uh, watch in full uh, both The Big Lebowski and Ferris Bueller. Um, sorry, uh, Ferris, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, God, what's it called? <laughs> Is that, that's what it's called, right? <laughs> yeah, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. yeah oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, I'll, keep it in I, whenever Colin, I talk about it in. all I talk about is Ferris Bueller that's all I say so I don't know the title my bad <laughs> anyways <laughs> anyways um, let's see if I can recover uh, okay so I finally got to watch uh, The Big Lebowski and Ferris Bueller's Day Off in full I mean these are movies that I've watched bits and pieces of uh, over the years but finally in full um, Big Lebowski's great I mean that's a that's a phenomenal one uh, John Goodman was the highlight for me just Every line is uh, every line that he uh, spouts out has to connect back to Vietnam, and that was just perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite character in that is Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think everything he does in that movie is fucking hilarious. Like his laugh is just so good. He has like three like programmed responses to everything that people say. <laughs> it's oh my god, like, he's, he is, he kills me in that movie. He's good. He's good. I just love. I just love John Goodman, though. Um, anytime Donnie says something, uh, Steve Buscemi, anytime he says something, he's just like, uh, shut up, uh, Donnie. <laughs> it's too good. It, it's too good. Great movie. And um, uh, no, it's great. And Philip Seymour Hoffman, I, weirdly, I've been like, he's been in like every movie I've watched in the last few weeks. I think of in, in the last two to three weeks, I've seen him in like six things I've watched. Great. actor. Yeah, I miss him. He's just yeah. so good. Yeah. Uh, Big Lebowski is one of the Coen Brother movies I haven't seen, uh, which I I am ashamed of that fact. But I I will get to it at some point. I promise. You should. I'm revoking it's great. your card. <laughs> cinema cinema card revoked. I was too busy watching the Kissing Booth franchise. <laughs> and... Stop it! I hate this running joke so much. <laughs> You and Spencer on Twitter are just like the bane of my existence right now. It's <laughs> all you do is bring up the kissing loop, and I just want to forget about it for the rest of my life. I <laughs> or mean, until I have to watch the third one. <laughs> the third one's set for 2021, so it's it's coming. Oh my god. <laughs> Kill me. <laughs> yeah, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a movie that like I grew up with a lot, um, but I haven't seen it in quite a while. Uh, but it's something that was just like if it was on TV, somebody in my house was going to put it on. So it's, it's definitely a, a classic favorite of mine. But then I was also pretty mainstream this last week. Um, I didn't have a ton of stuff that I watched, um, but I did take an entire day to watch all three Lord of the Rings extended editions uh, on Friday, which was like just 12 hours straight of Middle Earth. Uh, which was insane. <laughs> but I just finished the books uh, like a couple of days earlier. And this is something that I've been looking forward to all summer. Uh, so that was nice. And then I started in on the documentaries uh, because Peter Jackson just had constant documentary filming going on throughout the like eight years that these were in production. Um, so there's like 30 some odd hours of documentary footage <laughs> that's available. Um, and I started off into those and it's just, crazy how much work went into even just the smallest things from like you know they, they found people who'd been drawing 
uh, pictures of what they thought Tolkien was talking about in the books ever since they came out. They brought these guys on set. They found like actual swordsmiths that they put full-time staff for like three years. Um, they made like millions of chain chains for chain mail, um, but just like thousands of different feet and ways they had to move just makeup and special effects forward. They had miniatures of sets that were the size of actual sound stages. Um, there's just, I think we appreciate Lord of the Rings a lot as a society, but I don't think we appreciate it enough just as being kind of the last push of epic movies before everything was done with computers, um, which weirdly Peter Jackson was like instrumental in that shift as well. Um, but just all of the actual physical creativity that went into putting these movies together and kind of making them the most epic of any epic you could imagine. Yeah. I love behind the scenes docs like these because I feel like we always get into the mode of, we think our tour theory and every, this, every decision is up to the director and this, it's all their fault. And this is so stupid. And then you see stuff like this where it's, (laughs) they had to make, a thousand decisions like every hour and you realize how hard it is. Uh, it's, it's so fascinating. And you're right. Or just, there's so much detail in all these movies where I feel like I've said this a few times where I, I really like Lord of the Rings movies. They're not ones that I return to a lot, but I totally acknowledge that, I, that they're just terrific and just amazing feats of just capital C cinema in general. But yeah, I, I need to check out these docs. Where are they available? Uh, so I have the Lord of the Rings extended edition uh, DVD set, which they like went in and remastered all the extended editions. And then there are like six DVDs just filled with all of the documentaries. I think a lot of them are available online as well. Uh, but I'm like half of a disc in and I've watched like five or six hours of documentaries. Um, there's just so much there. <laughs> Good God. The Irishman's got nothing on that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, we really don't appreciate just like how much New Zealand did for us. Um, Like they just had to end up (laughs) they just had to end up buying um, like chunks of New Zealand to build all the sets um, and to like build the Shire into the landscape. Um, And then just like watching these documentaries, I have more appreciation for why Peter Jackson didn't want to come back for the Hobbit movies. Um, Because just like this was almost a 10 year span of his life where he was just day in and day out, just (laughs) overwhelmed with all of this stuff. Um, And I can't imagine like doing that twice. Um, So I I always felt sympathy for him for having to do the Hobbit movies. But now I feel it even more. Yeah. And shout out to New Zealand. Great country. Great stuff from them. But yeah, I feel bad for him, too. And I feel like he's been so he's been really quiet since the. Hobbit movies came out. I don't think he's directed a movie since, right? Or I know he was a big producer on, uh, remember Mortal Engines? Remember that? (laughs) (laughs) I know he was big on that, and he was kind of like what James Cameron's been doing for a while, and he was the big producer on it for years, but also a big creative uh, input as well on it. But yeah, I feel like in a way, the Hobbit movies broke him a little bit, or he's just, or he just thought like he needed a break (laughs) for a little bit. Uh, like that stuff is so tough. I, I, I could never imagine that. Like, I feel like if I was a director, which probably will never happen ever, because anyone who gives me money, just a very bad idea. But I, I would just never even think about doing those movies. Who knows? Maybe, 
maybe like you see the checks and then you're like, all right, sure, let's do it. <laughs> but yeah, it just it all looks so hard to me. And I think that's kind of where he's been since the Hobbit movies. So he was the driving force behind They Shall Not Grow Old, um, which like he put a lot of money and his crew together to restore all that footage and color everything and, and sync audio. Um, so I think that's kind of what he's moved now that he like he made a ton of money on the Lord of the Rings. Um, but I know they paid him out the ass for the Hobbit. Um, so I'm imagining he's just using all that money to do stuff he actually wants to do now since, you know, he spent 20 years trying to bring Middle Earth to life and only enjoyed the first half of it. Yeah, there's a couple of those directors now where it's Zemeckis and even Spielberg and obviously Cameron where they've kind of conquered everything. I feel like they've done basically all that you can do really with this. So now it's a matter of how can like messing with all these like technologies and stuff like that. You see Cameron like trying to re-revolutionize 3D and whatnot for whenever Avatar 2 comes out, maybe 2030, I don't know. But there's just like Zemeckis, he's doing all like, remember Welcome to Marwin? He was just messing around (laughs) with Steve Carell as a a doll or whatever that movie was. I I can't even remember. But yeah, there's just all these guys where they're, they've done everything and they've worked on the biggest movies. And now it's just like, well... I kind of just want to do what I want to do. And they're all fascinated by moving everything forward. And I don't really know if any of them have been successful at all, but um, I think it's, it's fascinating. I feel like it's one of the things where it's like, well, I, none of this really, none of, none of this other stuff interests me. I want to try something new and something that will allow me like the most creative control possible. Cause I'm sure like all of this is just talking in meetings day after day to all these producers who are giving you all this money and answering for all your creative choices. And that's just maddening. But yeah, it's, I don't blame him. <laughs> it's, it's just, it seems like it's hard. Yeah. And I think he's really underrated as just like how much he's pushed technology forward. So I think when you think of technology pushers, it's like George Lucas and Spielberg are kind of the obvious ones and, and James Cameron, um, especially since avatar, but like Peter Jackson, really enabled he used all of his first round of lord of the rings money to just beef up weta digital uh, which is the reason why everything's on computers now because uh, king kong was just such a demanding movie that they had to push the technology forward just decades um so so props to him for that for in turn ruining every big budget action movie after that but it worked <laughs> out once <laughs> it is funny though because when you think about his early career and he was making all these gross super low budget like puppet movies like there's like that meet the feebles movie and there's like that dead alive which i think is nc-17 is just like really disgusting <laughs> so it is funny just tumble beginnings i guess it's really cool i'll be diving through those documentaries for probably the next week or so until i go back to school um, but yeah that's what i've been watching yeah and so i guess i've been kind of picking up with just more recent releases so the movie i wanted to talk about was she dies tomorrow which is amy simons's new movie and she made another movie before uh which i haven't seen but she's directed a lot of tv you know she's done a lot of atlanta on uh, fx and she's been an actress in a ton of things and really i feel like the one thing i know her from is the pet cemetery remake that came out last year <laughs> that's like the one thing i've seen her in which is really bizarre because that movie's just a big ball and nothing but uh she's after watching this, like she's just an incredible director. I, I it's she died. She dies tomorrow is one of those movies where um, 
you might see like a Google review, like which are just hilarious to read if you never get the chance where it's like you see like a review for the witch and it's like nothing happens in this movie. This movie's stupid. <laughs> and I feel like she <laughs> dies tomorrow would be a lot of the same or I haven't, you haven't checked these out, but it's, it's a lot of people just staring off into the distance and like pondering their lives. Uh, so the idea of this movie, and I don't want to say too much about it because I think it's really interesting to just experience and you don't really know where it's going. Cause it's kind of, it doesn't have a crate. It's not, there's, I don't even know if there's a really like a main character to this. Well, I guess there is, but um, it kind of moves all over the place and it's really interesting in that way. So I don't want to spoil it, but basically there's, there's this one girl uh, who wakes up and she just has this overwhelming sense that she's just going to die tomorrow. And she doesn't really know why, but when she tries to explain it to people, she just says like, Hey, like it's like, it's happening. Like I'm not crazy. Like this is just what's going to happen to me. I'm going to die. Um, and then it progresses from there and it becomes a little bit of a bigger issue. Um, and I'm trying to uh, say my words carefully here because I think it's really cool to see what happens here. But uh, yeah, this is kind of one of the most 2020 movies. Uh, it's just that you, you see all of like the crippling fear of dealing with a virus in this world in this movie and also just the crippling fear of not being able to get out of your own head and thinking all these terrible thoughts and what this can do and what, how it affects other people. Um, I really, I really, really love this movie. I think it's, it's, I literally just watched this movie before we jumped on here. So it's a lot to digest, but I want to say it's one of my favorites of the year. I think it's terrific and I hope people check it out. Cause I think it's, it's available to rent for five or five or six bucks right now. So it's, yeah, it's really, really terrific and go and go in knowing as little as possible. Yeah. I, uh, I stand less than $10 rentals. Um, I'm not here for that $20, $30 rental stuff. <laughs> no. Suck it, Mulan. I'm just going to watch She Dies Tomorrow three times instead. Uh, but yeah, there's there's been like a lot of pretty solid horror or like horror-adjacent releases lately, so I'm excited to check it out. Yeah, it's I really like this movie. It's I, I really want to see what Amy Simons does next because there's a lot of really cool director choices and the way she uses color in this and she this movie isn't very expensive at all it's pretty it's pretty lo-fi but it it does have some fun uh, little cameos in there which i'll save for people but um yeah it's there's a lot of craft in here i'm looking forward to i don't i think she's i don't want to see her get a crazy budget movie (laughs) i mean i hope she gets paid but i don't want to see her do like transformers 10 that'd just be so sad to me (laughs) But I would just love to see her get like twenty million dollars to make something. It would be so interesting. This, this is this, it's really really cool. This movie. I'd actually like to see her do Transformers Ten. <laughs> Maybe it would be pretty good. Who knows? <laughs> just not um, Michael Bay, and it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, what we've been watching this week. Uh, what's going on with Mulan and the studio system? Um, so it's definitely an interesting time, and we only have a few more weeks until theaters somewhat open back up. Uh, Tenant New Mutants supposedly is still on the horizon, uh, so we'll definitely be looking forward to those, and we'll be back talking about what's on Netflix, what we've been streaming, and much, much more. Remember, you can always check us out online at moviebabble.com. Mm-hmm.